Good morning. Hello. And welcome to Mysteries. Murders. Monsters. And your moms. We're the mothers. We are. I'm Julie. I'm Nicole. I'll stop talking like that now. (laughs) (laughs) And it's a wonderful Sunday morning. Mm Mm-hmm. And we're back. Yeah. Nicole smells amazing, by the way. (laughs) It's because I usually come in here rolling out of bed in my sweatpants and like... (laughs) Like, That's, you're just lucky that I'm here rather like, rather than, like, actually I, fully dressed like a human. I don't think I stink, per se. <laughs> no, you don't but stink. I'm definitely just, I, I just, you know, I did the same thing. I brushed my teeth. I brushed my hair. I rolled out of bed. I got a coffee. I put on some sweatpants, some slides. Yeah, that's my use. That's my use. I'm just. just, We have brunch plans after this, so I wanted to be. I wanted to be dressed, so when I got home, I wasn't like scrambling. Or also just wanting to stay in my pajamas and like, like forget (laughs) brunch. I don't want. I don't want to go. If I'm if I'm dressed, it's more like okay, let's go. And your shirt's nice. Yes, I'm finally. I've been wearing it, but I'm finally wearing it here. My um. Addicted, oh yeah, Gorilla Tea. Gorilla Tea, Addicted to True Crime. Which is but it's the Unsolved Mysteries logo, which is... Awesome. Yes. And you can get a discount if you use our code, Mystery Mom Podcast, if you want a t-shirt. I want, um, it's a sweatshirt and it's a t-shirt, but it's it's new this year for the holidays, and it's the Kevin McAllister map for the bad guys. Oh, yes. Because I used to have that movie poster. That's super which cute. Which showed the whole house, and it was the blueprint of all the booby traps. And I really want that one, so I think that's what I'm going to get myself for Christmas yeah, later. Yeah, I love that movie. I also found a really fun, ugly sweater that is, uh, <laughs> it's Santa on a sleigh, but he's like, like roided out muscles and then he's like standing on a sleigh doing like this like power pose i think he's holding a like you know a thrasher guitar too but uh it says slayer but like in the word slay like s-l-e-i-g-h yep but in the slayer the band font yeah (laughs) i was like i really want that that's fantastic (laughs) i love it um Oh, and then I got to be um, a guest on a different podcast this past week, which was really fun. They do something called the Council of Moms. Oh, nice. Um, the Parent Lounge, who, do, who they have a, a weekly podcast. So um, it's not so much where they tell you stories. It's more of a like discussion yeah. panel. But um, yeah, it was really fun. So uh, there's links on my Facebook page. And uh, yeah, look them up. The Parent Lounge. The Parent Lounge. Yeah, their setup is way better than ours. Like, they've got, like, YouTube links and, like, great mics, and we're just sitting at a fucking bar. (laughs) Not drinking, by the way. Yeah, (laughs) coffee. Always drinking the coffee. (laughs) Trying not to burn our tongues on coffee. Well, mine's iced. It doesn't matter. I actually got up early enough that mine's actually drinkable. So, (laughs) it's really exciting. This is fucking progress. I know. I went to bed at, like, 9.30 last night. So tired. Jared and I started watching a show about apocalypse stuff. Not so much apocalypse, but this guy, is, it's on Netflix. He's going back through all of these uh, temples, essentially, and he's looking at it differently to... It, maybe it's changing the roadmap of possibly where we came from, where people came from, how early people were in certain mm. places, and dating it all the way back to like the Ice Age. It's super interesting. 
I think maybe it's ancient architecture, maybe, or then there's no apocalypse, or maybe it's apocalypse art. I don't fucking know. It cool. doesn't matter, Sounds cool. but it's awesome. And I sat there like an old woman knitting a blanket and yeah. <laughs> watching history documentaries. I love documentaries. I wish, like, we watch them sometimes, but we don't watch them that, like, we'll get in a kick where we watch a bunch of them, and then yeah. right now we have, like, a bunch of shows that we're trying to catch up on, and it's really just, there was a lot of sports that got in the way. Mm. Not in the way. It was wonderful. Um, my, <laughs> fil- my Phillies were in the World Series, and it was wonderful. But anyway, so like, yeah, it paused, like there was, Pause. you know, it was a lot of stuff. So we're just kind of in this weird catch-up mode. But you know, I didn't talk about on this show is um, Guillermo del Toro's Cabinet Cabin of Curiosities. Curiosities. I loved that. I fucking love Guillermo del Toro. I, I do too. But I loved. How it was different directors, so they all yeah. kind of held a different feel we to them. It well, because Jared was uh, gone for like almost two weeks. Well, that's weeks, true. So I tried not to watch the things I thought he would want to watch together. Bees and I gave up because we were so busy that we both watched it separately. Oh, you know, like we just gave up and went, you know what, I'll watch it one of my lunch break at work and he'll watch all yeah. the elliptical. Because it just got to that point where I was like, I need to watch this like now. Well, we started so. the, what is it, the Midnight Society? And that's pretty oh, good. I already watched that, yeah. But I'm only on episode four because we keep again he left so I, i'm like well we're watching this together i'm not gonna listen it's really good it's really fucking depressing oh, like it's no. really fucking depressing yeah. um honestly bees decided he didn't really want to watch it like i don't know teenagers he's a high school teacher teenagers uh, dying is not, really not like yeah, his forte yeah so well, i finished it's, it's good though interview with a vampire and i say i finished but there was only i don't can't remember if it was seven or eight episodes it doesn't matter. What my point is is that there were too few episodes. There needs to be more. And there is a second season coming, but nobody knows when. But it's really I really want to see it, but I am not getting good. another subscription. Uh, you, can, you can have my sign-in. Oh, do you still want my Hulu? Are I we sh- still doing that? Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, because I want to watch Hellraiser. Right. Um, but... Yeah. I yeah it's it's really good it's so fucking good and like they they keep dropping like little Easter eggs into the giant realm Ooh. that is the Anne Rice world you just have to be kind of I guess savvy enough to catch them like it's been a long time I the, haven't read the book since like it's one it's I'm old enough now that like I read the books in a time where like you can't quite remember I really don't yeah, remember yeah well the first episode. Uh, there's they discuss a painting uh and they name drop marius who is a huge character in the end rice world and is my personal favorite so i was like yes 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 maybe i should reread them yeah i don't have anything i'm like i'm reading something right now that i've been wanting to read for like a year um (laughs) which is really crazy i know and i'm finally reading it and it's great oh shit sorry guys but good um, thing uh but it's from not x files listens to this it's not what i expected it's um the last house on oh my gosh why can't the i remember? block the street the left no the right that's a different thing the last house on the left <laughs> i think it's the last house on needless street oh yeah the last house on needless street and so I've been wanting to read this for like a year and I finally got it out of interlibrary loan and I'm all excited. And like I get to chapter two and chapter two is from the perspective of the cat. And I was not prepared for that. 
So I'm not giving up on it. I've just been really busy, so I think I just haven't had a chance to really like. Is it a catastrophic perspective? I don't know. Get it? Get it? Catastrophic? It's 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 exactly what I would expect. She's not laughing at my joke, guys. (laughs) Yeah, it's yes, obviously, it's a catastrophic (laughs) perspective. I don't know yet. Nothing like you know, nothing's happened, but something. It's it's all very terrible. It seems terrible. So anyway, we right, should move on. Let's go. We, that's almost ten minutes of an intro. Oh People my gosh. are probably annoyed. Shut up! Stop! Stop! Just start. Somebody wants to listen to you bitches converse. Tell us a story. All right. Am I first? That is correct. Awesome. So I'm doing a monster this week. I love it. I never do monsters. I do actually sometimes. I do love this. So I you know I love folklore, folk tales, creatures. Folk magic. Um, I think all of that stuff's really interesting. And also, I love, and I'm going to do like the whole at the end, it's like the, you know, um, like the lesson at the end thing. So, the moral of the story. Yes. So, I'm going to do a Wendigo. So, a Wendigo has several variations, all of which start with indigenous folklore. Um, but, you know, us Europeans put our own spin on it throughout the years as well. Um, it's obviously a mythological creature. <laughs> we or, think. Or evil spirit originating from the folklore of Plains and Great, Lake, Great Lakes indigenous people as well as some First Nations. And if you don't know, First Nations is what they call indigenous folks in Canada, which I think is a better name because Word. A, they were first, and yes, they had nations, and I think it's appropriate but anyway that is a whole other thing that i'm not going down so it is based in and around the east coast forests of canada the great plains region of the united states and the great lake regions of the u.s and canada so that's where most of the stories um come from and most of the original stories come from people who spoke the algonquin language um it's said to be a malevolent, malevolent spirit, sometimes, depict, sometimes depicted as a creature with human-like characteristics, and it possesses human beings. Uh, it invokes feelings of insatiable greed or hunger, the desire to cannibalize other humans, and the propensity to commit murder in those that fall under its influence. Um, we'll get back to the cannibalism later. <laughs> we'll get back to all of it later. This is just my little intro here. Um, a lot of um, ideations of this legend are different, right? So like most legends, most folklore, um, except for Mothman. Mothman's like the Mothman. Mothman. Um, it's a man of moth. <laughs> so in some representations, it's described as a giant humanoid with a heart of ice, a foul stench, and a sud- like. And then if he comes around, you get unseasonably cold, like, you know a ghost or something um europeans with their own superstitions about werewolves are the people that started talking about it with the more of the beastly features that we see and most of the representations that and i'll do the pop culture thing later but most of the representations we see in our pop culture tend to be like a beast and then like they did the antlers movie and like you know do you talk about supernatural yes yeah i think so i think so yeah (laughs) a whole Wendigo episode. Oh, I have I have two surprise <laughs> I have two surprises. Okay. I have two wonderful surprises okay. that were so funny when I read over this this morning before I came here that Bees and I had to actually look them up. Oh really? I was like, no way. <laughs> so anyway. But yeah, so um, our European sensibilities about werewolves is what started making the indigo seem 
Indigo. Windigo. <laughs> Windigo seemed like um, like more of a beast. Mm-hmm. Um, in the traditional um, text, he's, it's more of a human. It's oh. like a possessed human. It's not really right. a beast. Yeah. Um, let's see. Oh, and then there's the last thing we're going to talk about, which is really interesting in my opinion. It's called the Wendigo psychosis. And it's a psych- psychiatric... Um, they still classify it as a psychiatric, um, like, phenomenon. Uh, psychosis. It's a psycho. Not let's just say psychosis, known <laughs> as the Wendigo psychosis, um, and it's characterized by symptoms such as intense craving for human flesh, an intense fear of becoming a cannibal. Um, <laughs> also, it can be more broadly generalized as insatiable greed and destruction of the environment, but we'll talk all way more about that in a minute. All right, so the Algonquin legend, the Wendigo part one, um, the original. <laughs> the OG. The OG. The Wendigo is part of the traditional belief system of a number of Algonquin-speaking people, including the Ojibwe, the Saltaw, the Cree, and the Naskapi. Oh, and the Innu. And though, though they, you know, vary in their descriptions, um, there are some commonalities in how they see the Wendigo. Um, it's always bad, first of all. Cannibalistic, that's important, and somewhat supernatural. Um, they are strongly associated with winter, the north, coldness, famine, starvation. I kept thinking like ice giants from from like uh, Game of Thrones, you know. Like, That's exactly what I was yeah, thinking of. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so Basil H. Johnston, who was an Ojibwe teacher and scholar from Ontario, gives this description: The Wendigo was a was gaunt to the point of emaciation. Its desiccated skin pulled tightly over its bones, with its bones pushing out against its skin. Its complexion, the ash gray of death, and its eyes pushed back deep into their sockets. The Wendigo looked like a gaunt skeleton recently disinterred from the grave. What lips it had were tattered bloody, unclean and suffering from separation of the flesh. The Wendigo gave off a strange and eerie odor of decay and decomposition of death and corruption somebody needs some chapstick and but you can see, yeah right but you can see how it's not the animalistic yeah. version that a lot of us yeah. have seen in our representations it's a very different thing um there are some that describe it as a giant certain um certain stories from certain tribes do describe it with um as a giant which is also com- somewhat common so larger than human beings a characteristic absent from other myths um, is that whenever the Wendigo eats a person, it grows in proportion to the meal it had just eaten and therefore it's never full mm. because it's just like, yeah, I yeah. ate I get, now like I get bigger. Yeah. yeah. Um, so they're kind of like also represent gluttony if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but also <laughs> they're also really thin due to starvation. It's really... <laughs> It's an interesting metaphor, though. I think it's kind of interesting. Um, it's also seen as the embodiment of, you know, greed and excess because it's never satisfied, mm-hmm. like, which is what keeps it going and why it's so scary. Um, a lot of times also in some, well, not a lot of times, in certain stories about the Wendigo, he, um, 
the Wendigo, <laughs> I assumed it was a he. <laughs> yeah, can they be female? Because I don't think I've ever seen, like, an iteration well, it, where one is female. Yeah, it's true. Um, but a lot of times it doesn't, in a lot of the stories, it doesn't lose its ability to um, talk or understand speech. Like, it will talk to its victims, mm-hmm. um, which goes back to the idea that it's um, basically, I don't think, did I say this yet? I don't know if I did or not. But how um, does it talk? Because if well, its mouth one is of the so, ti- so... That may be a supernatural thing. Yeah, it's, it is supernatural, but I, I'm going to get to it later, but I'm going to say okay. it now. But, like, one of the things that... One of the stories is that it's someone who... It's, like, a Wendigo is a person who succumbs to cannibalism. Right. So, like, they still are a person. They still have the ability to speak and, mm-hmm. you know, talk. But it's, like, this cannibalistic thing that they did takes over who they are. Are like, you going to go into over. the voice thing? Because I don't want to jump ahead and start talking about things if you're going to get to I'm it. I'm not sure. Well, because one of the uh, the myths of the Wendigo is that it will mimic people around you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. To try to lure yeah. you in. To try to lure you in. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's definitely, um, I think that goes to this, this myth in particular when they're talking about how it would even, like, threaten and taunt victims. So, like, yes, it was, Because, like, if you saw that thing, you're not going to go anywhere close enough to it so that it can eat you. Right. (laughs) Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, And, I don't know, it's got a very Slender Man vibe to it, too. It does. Yeah. Um, Okay, so, I was going to... So, this is a story. This is a folk story that was from the early 20th century um, that was um, recorded by um, a Chippewa someone from the Chippewa Nation. And this is the story about um, the Wendigo and how it was able to use tools and survive as partial dismemberment. So, what? yeah. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, this is an older story, so I'm just gonna read it real quick. One time long ago, a big Wendigo stole an Indian boy, but the boy was too thin, so the Wendigo didn't eat him up right away, but he traveled with the Indian boy, waiting for him to get fat. The Wendigo had a knife, and he cut the boy on the hand to see if he was fat enough to eat, but the boy didn't get fat. They traveled too much. One day, they came to an Indian village, and the Wendigo sent the boy to the Indian village to get some things for him to eat. He just gave the boy so much time to get there and back. The boy told the Indians that the Wendigo was near them and showed them his hand where he had cut him to see if he was fat enough to eat. They heard the Wendigo calling the boy. He said to the boy, "'Hurry up! Don't tell lies to those Indians!' All of these Indians went to where the Wendigo was and cut off his legs. They went back again to see if he was dead. He wasn't dead. He was just eating the juice from inside of the bones of his legs that were cut off. The Indians asked the Wendigo if there was any fat on them, and he said, You bet there is. I've eaten lots of Indians. No wonder they are fat. The Indians then killed him and cut him into pieces, and this is the end of the giant Wendigo. So... Um, so I mean, it does. It, so it's interesting. Some I, I pulled it because it's an interesting story. It's not even that scary. It's really just like you know, kind of. So this is kind of Monty Python. Yeah, it's kind of how the, but it's very much how the um, some of these tribes viewed the Wendigo. <laughs> like we've made it scarier. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, we've made it a little bit scarier. I think, and that's this is happens though with legends. All right, so the cannibalism connection. In some traditions, um, humans overpowered by greed turn into Wendigos, as I said. Um, So they use the myth to encourage cooperation and moderation in times of low food. Like if there's not a lot of food around, 
um, you know, you can like don't eat too much, don't be greedy because right. we need to stretch it out. And right. if you have to eat another Rations. person, you know, you might become a Wendigo. So, <laughs> um, like I said, I said this earlier, the Wendigo, the legend is there was a, there's a legend that the Wendigo was a lost hunter facing starvation during a brutally cold winter. His intense hunger drove him to the taboo of all taboos, cannibalism. And then shortly after feasting on human flesh, he was transformed into a beast-like creature destined to roam the frozen forests of Canada and Minnesota in search of people to eat, never to be satisfied. Huh. All right, so now the Wendigo psychosis. So even though we still talk about this thing, this Wendigo psychosis, it like originated in the 1600s. And there is a historical account from 1661, and I was gonna read it and I decided against it because it's kind of annoying and long. <laughs> um, but basically, the idea is, as early on as 1661, in the Jesuit relations, um, it was reported that people, you know, people, and when they say people, they mean indigenous people, mm -hmm. succumbed to this psychosis of their need to, you know, consume other humans, like, a, you know, the Wendigo. Um, but not being a Wendigo, they're just people that are consumed mm -hmm. by the psychosis associated with the Wendigo. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. Um, so although in many recorded cases, the individuals are killed, um, in, many of the, or in many of the recorded cases, what happens is the person that, you know, they think has become affected by the psychosis are killed to prevent um, cannibalism. Um, there are some folklores, I will say, in the Cree specifically, that um, have treatments for the psychosis or treatments okay. for becoming a Wendigo, yeah. which include ingestion of fatty animal meats, drinking animal grease. Oh. Um, but if, if you're treated, you may vomit ice as part of the curing process. I would love to see that. I'm just kidding. Well, I mean, I smell, so it can't be that bad, right? Yeah. So this is um, one of the most famous cases of the Wendigo psychosis. And, like, people used this for a long time as, like, a legit thing. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, it doesn't take much to read into it now and see that, like, um, it was probably a really good cover story. So I'll tell you the story real quick. Um, it's involved a Plains Cree trapper from Alberta which is in Canada, <laughs> just in case people <laughs> didn't know, <laughs> named Swift Runner. During the winter of 1878, Swift Runner and his family were starving, and his eldest son died. 25 miles from emergency food supplies at the Hudson's Bay Company Post. Swift Runner then butchered and ate his wife and five remaining children. What the fuck? So given that he resorted to cannibalism so near to a food supply, and that he killed and consumed the remains of all of those oh. present, it was revealed that he was a case, that it, this was a case of Wendigo psychosis. So he, um, you know, confessed and then was um, executed by authorities at Fort Saskatchewan. All I'm going to say is if you get the name Swift Runner, it probably means that you're very fast. In this case, I don't think it held up. I'm just saying. Had you gone a little bit faster. I don't know. Or maybe, you know. He probably just, you know, was a little bit of a psycho. It's fine. Or nothing happened and they killed his whole family and then made it up. Made it up. Yeah, yeah. that's fair too. That's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, there's another story real quick. Um, this was 
another Wendigo psychosis story that people used over and over again. It was that of Jack Fielder, Fiddler, Jack Fiddler, I'm sorry. He was an OG Cree chief and medicine man, and he was known for his powers at defeating Wendigos. In some cases, this entailed killing people with Wendigo psychosis. As a result, in 1907, Fiddler and his brother Joseph were arrested by Canadian authorities for homicide. Okay. Um, Jack committed suicide, but Joseph was tried and sentenced to life in prison. And he was actually granted a pardon, but he didn't know about it and um, died three days later in jail before receiving the news. Oh, bummer. Anyway. Um, wah, wah. So... This whole, I am interest in the Wendigo psychosis that a lot of um, folks who study Western um, indigenous people, anthropologists, psychologists, and the like, um, kind of became more hotly debated in the 1980s over, you know, whether this was a real phenomenon. Some researchers argued that it was essentially a fabrication, the result of um, tape taking stories at face value rather than what they were really trying to talk about. Right. Oh yeah. Obviously this person, you know, like did this, maybe there's more to the story, but what was recorded, you know, the winner records history. Right. So like, um, so in the eighties, people started to question it. Um, obviously the cases also started to decrease sharply in the 20th century. Um, and this, you know, because people were leading less, how do you say it like dangerous lives like they were more sedentary they had set up villages and places right. they weren't like they weren't off hunting with their family and then you know not finding food and starving and you know right right um in 2004 um this guy james b waldrum wrote revenge of the wendigo um and it was basically about this the way that um this Wendigo psychosis has been categorized. So he says, no actual cases of Wendigo psychosis have ever been studied. And Lou Murano's scathing critique in 1985 should have killed off the cannibal monster within psychiatric annals. The Wendigo, however, continues to seek revenge for this attempted scholarly execution by periodically duping unsuspecting passerby like psychiatrists into believing that Wendigo psychosis Just passing by. not only exists, but that a psychiatrist could conceivably encounter a patient suffering from this disorder his, in his or her practice today. And that was in 2004. Huh. He's basically saying, like, we need to let this shit go. Yeah. Like, this is not happening. This right. was probably not even actually happening. Right. Not to say that there might have been isolated cases, but for it to be so much so that it was like an actual, you know, psychosis. Um, He goes on to say, Wendigo psychosis may well be the most perfect example of the construction of an aboriginal mental disorder by the scholarly professions, and its persistence dramatically underscores how constructions of the the aboriginal by these professions have, like Frankenstein's monster, taken on a life of their own. Hmm. So, um, yeah. But it is still classified in the, um, not in the DSM, but in the... uh, International Statistical Classification of Diseases and Related Health Problems, the ICD. It is still in there. And they do say it's a culture-specific disorder. But 
basically like this is kind of bullshit right like but people hold like held on to this wendigo psychosis for a really long time i'm not gonna lie when i go to work monday i'm gonna look up uh, icd 10 codes to see if we can actually see if it's in there yeah Yeah. it was in the 10th revision so i mean my that's what we're in now we're in icd 10 (laughs) so i'm gonna i'm not kidding i'm gonna look it up i found one for like a coffee issue and yeah. I was going to put it on a cup because I thought it was hilarious. I'm going to have to find it. I'll find All right. it. Well, and that's just it. I mean, I can tell you what it says, but rare historic accounts of cannibalistic obsession. Symptoms included depression, homicidal or suicidal thoughts, and a delusional compulsive wish to eat human flesh. Some controversial, there's like three dots there, so I guess it says more. Some controversial new studies question the syndrome's legitimacy, claiming cases were actually a product of hostile accusations invented to justify the victim's ostracism and execution. Yeah. Like, which is what I said. Yeah. Like, that guy did not kill his whole family Mm -mm. 20 miles from, you know, an outpost. Eat them on top of that. Yeah. Anyway, so, but it's... It was really fascinating to me. I kind of did go down the rabbit hole on this part because yeah. I, because like I was like, well, we really still think this, and it makes sense though. That's why maybe the Wendigo still is kind of prevalent in our modern culture, like pop culture at least, which is yeah. what I'm going to talk about next. So, pop culture. We're almost at the really exciting pop part. Pop culture time. Okay, so pop culture. So different <laughs> things. That's how we should do these parts. <laughs> pop culture. Pop culture. <laughs> <laughs> the first novel or novella it was a novella about oh, the wendigo called the wendigo was written in 1910 so okay. um and then there was another one that was written in 1933 and 41 and it was called the thing that walked on the wind oh. that was the 1933 one and the 1941 one was called Ithaca. and these are the ones that actually inspired Steve not to be confused with Ithaca. yes no <laughs> Um, these are the ones that inspired um, Stephen King's Pet Cemetery. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, where it is the personification of evil, an ugly grinning creature with yellow-gray eyes, ears replaced by ram's horns, white vapor coming from its nostrils, and a pointed, decaying yellow tongue. Oh. Um, and this is really where we start seeing our modern portrayal of yeah. it. Um, There's another one that came out in the uh, 1959 that was by um, Thomas Pinchon, and that was uh, Mortality and Mercy in Vienna. And this one deals specifically with the Wendigo psychosis or syndrome, and someone basically gets it and goes on a killing spree. Gotcha. You know. Um, I did not know this. Maybe you did. A character inspired by the Wendigo appears in Marvel. And it was by writer Stephen Englehart and artist Herb Trimpey. The monster is a result of a curse that afflicts those who commit acts of cannibalism. And it first appeared in The Incredible Hawk 162 in 1973. And again in 1974. I don't know what issue. I didn't write it down. What's its name? It doesn't say. Oh. I don't know that it had one. I think it's just like a creature that the whole... That they were like fighting. Yeah. Like I don't think it became like a... A character so much as it just was something that Hulk mm. fought because you know once just because Hulk's yeah. got to fight all the things. Oh, speaking of, never mind. I'm not getting off tap. I'm not not doing it. <sighs> Stay the course. Okay, so um, 
Sometimes it's portrayed in different novels and things without actually calling it a Wendigo. There's a novel in 1995 called Solar Storms by a Chickasaw author and poet, Linda K. Hogan, and it explores the mythology of the Wendigo and used the creature as a device to interrogate issues of independence, spirituality, politics, and an individual's relationship to family and as a metaphor metaphor for corporate veracity, exploitation, and power viewed as a form of cannibalism. Jesus, we will talk more about we, we'll talk more heavy. about that in a little bit. Now to the fun stuff. Here we go. Shows that it's been in. Um, oh, two films. First various films and television shows. I don't, why, why won't you tell me if this, these must be movies? I'm not sure. Dark was the night and ravenous. It tells me nothing else. I should have done more research. I'm sorry, friends. That's my fault. But I kind of got blown over because um, it was also in Teen Wolf, yeah. Supernatural, yep. Blood Ties, Charmed, Grimm, and Hannibal, which I loved that show. And the FBI profiler keeps having the dreams of what is basically a Wingo, which symbolizes the character of Hannibal. Uh, he has these big, creepy right. dream sequences in that. Yeah. And it's a Wendigo, and I'm like reading this going, oh my gosh, that makes so much sense. Yeah. Now, are you ready for the weird ones? Because, I mean, obviously it was in Supernatural and so Grimm and... The one in Supernatural, though, I just want to say, they went with... Um, it didn't have horns or antlers. It was... It, it, was humanoid and it was it was creepy as fuck because it was very elongated like mm. unnaturally elongated and it was strong and it did the the creepy voice thing but so it sounds like it was like Wendigo slash Slenderman a little bit a little bit yeah. yeah yeah which I think it leans to definitely so are you ready for the two that like really stopped me in my tracks okay it appears in My Little Pony Friendship is Magic what the fuck in the in, in, in the episode um Hearth's Warming Eve under the pun title of Wendigo. So I looked it up, and basically the the ponies, like the Wendigo is like feeding off of their like negativity and like creating like all this animosity Why amongst is them. Children's show? Oh, it's if you've never seen this new little like My Little Pony insanity, no, it's crazy. It's creepy as fuck. Oh and then God. it was also in DuckTales. Christmas special last Christmas so it's in two like winter Christmas specials but it is associated with like cold and my kids love ducktails by the way so um and the creature is described as poor souls turned into monsters by obsession and desperation okay and all right it appeared in the 2020 horror film The Retreat which I did not see or no or have I heard of um there's a survival video game from 2015 called Until Dawn and it's in that. Um, there's a novel that came out by a Canadian um, indigenous writer named Nathan. Um, I'm going to get his middle names wrong. Nijan Newton Adler. Um, and it's based on the story of the Wendigo. And it was called Wrist, which now I kind of want to read it. Because it's like a horror novel. Yeah. Um, so... The 2015 series Summoner, also a novel, um, I think, was based on a demon, or it was feature, featured a type of demon known as a Wendigo. Um, more, more games, lots of games. There was Fallout 76, Dusk, 
Um, so it comes up in video games quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And then um, the 2021 film Antlers, mm-hmm. which I actually liked a lot. It was okay, yeah, um, I hate it. I mean, you know, it wasn't the best movie I've ever seen, but I didn't hate it. I thought it was pretty good. Yeah. I enjoyed it. It was scary as fuck. I mean, not scary in the sense that, like, the creature was scary. Yeah. Like, yeah. there was right. parts of the movie that I was like, yeah, yeah, shut up. You're but like, it was also, you? like, the creature itself was like, I was like, whoa, okay, yeah, okay. Yeah. Like, that's... Ooh. I almost want... The, maybe not. I can't remember. There was a Netflix movie called The Ritual. And I want to think, like, maybe... Oh, yeah. I think there was something that was... Maybe. Like, it's not the right... So I do think that, like... It's not the right place, though. Well, they're in, like... Scottish Highlands or something like right. that. Right. So like, Bees and I were talking about a book that we both read, um, and it's got a lot of um, indigenous folklore in it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, do we think that was a Wendigo story? And like, we kind of talked it out this morning, and it was like, <laughs> no, it wasn't. But, you know, it's the similarities about yeah. these things and these stories and these yeah. tales that kind of creep up, which is how I'm going to end us on our PBS special moment here. So... <laughs> Let's talk about the Wendigo as a metaphor instead of as an actual creature. Um, the idea is that a Wendigo can apply to any person, idea, or movement infected by a corrosive drive towards greed, consumption, um, traits that just, like you know bring disharmony and destruction into their like settings. Basically, um, Ojibwe scholar Brady Desanti asserts that a Wendigo can be understood as a marker indicating a person imbalanced both internally and towards the larger community of humans and spiritual beings around them. Out of equilibrium and estranged by their communities, individuals thought to be afflicted by the Wendigo spirit unravel and destroy the ecological balance around them. Um, Another author, um, Louise Erdick's novel, um, she's Chippewa, um, her novel The Roundhouse, which won the National Book Award, depicts a situation where an individual person becomes a Wendigo, and the novel describes its primary antagonist, a rapist whose violent crimes desecrated a sacred site as a Wendigo who must be killed because he threatens the reservation's safety. So the idea, like, is that the Wendigo or you become a Wendigo if you've done something that's going to actually harm the overall sanctity of your society that you live in. Hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so you can also describe the Wendigo psychosis beyond, or not psychosis, we're not talking about that now. You can also describe the Wendigo beyond a certain individual characteristic and look at it more as... Um, like the broader effect so um hold on right so this this guy also says that the figure of the wendigo represents consuming forms of exclusion and assimilation through which groups dump which certain groups dominate other groups Mm -hmm. so it makes a lot of sense um and how this applies to indigenous people in our country and in canada because it really just goes back to colonialism um, and its agents as Wendigos since the process of colonialism ejected natives from their land and threw the natural world out of balance. Um, so, like, basically, the Wendigo is us. Mm-hmm. Is you manifest destiny, you know, 
gold hungry Americans just mm-hmm. destroying the land, destroying people. Mm-hmm. Um, and it goes back to that idea of greed. And I thought that was really interesting because like maybe that is why the story <laughs> continues on, right? You mm-hmm. know, because it is super um, it is super relevant if you think about the characteristics and traits of a Wendigo. Um, so in 1978, um, someone wrote, I should, um, his name's on my last sheet, I already flipped it. <laughs> Dr. Jack D. Forbes, he is a scholar, um, an indigenous scholar, and he, um, he says this, Wetiko, this is also Wendigo, is a Cree term which refers to a cannibal or more specifically to an evil person or spirit who terrorizes other creatures by means of terrible evil acts, including cannibalism. I have come to the conclusion that imperialism and the exploitation are forms of cannibalism, and in fact are precisely those forms of cannibalism which are most diabolical or evil. It should be understood that Wedicos do not eat other humans only in a symbolic sense. The deaths of tens of millions of Jews, Slavs, etc. at the hands of the Nazis, the deaths of tens of millions of blacks in slavery days, the deaths of up to 30 million or more Indians in the 1500s, the terribly short lifespans of Mexican Indian farm workers in the U.S. and of Native Americans generally today, the high death rates in the early industrial centers among factory workers, and so on all clearly attest to the fact that the wealthy and exploitive literally consume the lies, lives of those that they exploit. That, I would affirm, is truly and literally cannibalism, and it is cannibalism accompanied by no spiritually meaningful ceremony or ritual. So um, I just thought that was really kind of an interesting take on the idea of the story of the Wendigo. Um, Forbes implies that what actually ought to be terrifying to us is that we live in societies enveloped in violence and exploitation and that we struggle to identify as such. His line of questioning effectively asks, what if the monstrosity we face is actually not an otherworldly presence, but an all-too-human self, our all-too-human selves? Um, another interesting, I got one more, I promise. One more learning moment, and then I'm <laughs> done with the learning moments. Um, Another Ojibwe activist named Winona LaDuke um, has been using the term Wendigo economics, um, and she's talking about it as it, as it um, relates to the environment. Mm-hmm. So um, there's this conflict between the cannibals and Mother Earth, and it's going on everywhere, and we're on the right side. That's, where, that's what we're working on, but sometimes you get that cannibal tendency. Um, so like basically how do we challenge like she's saying that the wendigo cannibalism is us just destroying the earth Mm -hmm. basically and you know what can we do to to stop that right like what can we do at this point even though we know it's happening to kind of stop it so she's been calling the um the capitalism that drives it uh, Wendigo capitalism. Well, it's also... I or Wendigo economics, which yeah. I thought was a really interesting term because it really is just like... But it's also just All-consuming. I have this conversation almost on a daily basis with people when I just start looking at the shit that we have, especially when I go to the stores. We have so much stuff that is completely fucking unnecessary. Oh, yeah. We don't need it, but we we can live without a majority of the shit that we have. We just don't want to. Mm-hmm. And that's 
huge part of our problem. We don't want to look at, well, and it's also, look, like, you can even go back, like, even further, like, look, we can go to capitalism and, like, those elite rich people who are controlling our narrative, whether we like it or not, um, they don't want to look for alternative forms of, like, we don't need single-use plastic. We don't. No. Like, our grandfathers and great-grandfathers and mothers and, like, aunts and sisters and brothers, our families prior to our generation lived without fucking plastic for eons. It is a relatively new invention, and it is ruining our environment. We don't fucking need it. All of our toys, this goddamn laptop, is all plastic. And what for? Anyway, that's my whole spiel. So I definitely can agree yeah. to the last part of that for sure. No, and I mean, I agree with it. I just think it's a really interesting... I love the idea of using something like the Windigo because it is, like, using it in terms like those, right? Yeah. Um, uh, humans' exploitation of other humans or our cannibalistic exploitation of the environment and using something scary like the Windigo to make your point, you know? Like, yeah, yeah. Like, we are... Monsters. The thing that we are afraid of, right? We are the thing that kept, you know, we are the thing that goes bump in the night. We basically. are monsters. Yeah. So. Whether we want to agree with that or not. All right. So my story is relatively short. And <laughs> it just looks long because I use big font. <laughs> big font. Um, my, and I titled it, It Takes a Village. Aww. And uh, I found this story off of a fucking Facebook post because you can't take everything that you read on Facebook and the shit that people share at face value. No. So I read this post and it like, and it used, um, it was like a historical art piece of like, I think it looks like an Arthurian woman with a sword. I don't remember, but anyway, and it was talking about this village and I don't want to say that it was wrong, but it wasn't 1000% correct. So I started Googling it and there's not, a whole lot, but I was able to find at least, you know, three or four pretty detailed articles. So that's what I'm going to talk about. Cool. All right. I'm going to, again, we're going to Spain. So Jesus, I can't speak other languages. Oh my gosh. There are people from Sweden listening to our podcast and I did the one with Lisa Holm and I'm trying to pronounce like Swedish words and I'm so embarrassed now. <laughs> Like I, I'm so embarrassed for I myself. Used, I used Google, um, Google pronoun, um, the Google pronoun pronunciation feature oh, of several of mine, so that I was like, I thought I was like, I think I can say this right, but I did it a yeah. few times because, you know. Anyway, so in the foothills of a snow-covered uh, Moncayan mountain range in Aragon, there is a small village with a not so small history filled with castles, excommunication, and witches. Excellent. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, and at the peak of the village stands a half-ruined 12th century uh, which castle, which is called the Trasmaz Castle. In 1232, Jamie I, the king of Aragon, conquered the area. It was him and another person, and they built this village and uh, yada yada. At one time, this area was considered a thriving community, and was considered to be a fiefdom, which means it is an area which someone exercises control, aka a feudal lord. The area was Yay, feudalism. Well, you know, for being for having that, this area seemed to be pretty harmonious, especially for where it is. Mm -hmm. The area was rich in resources: iron, silver, wood, and water. 
It was warm, too. Yes, yeah. That always helps. The area in which the town lies also did not belong to the Catholic Church. And thanks to royal decree, the town was not subject to paying dues and or taxes to the monastery nearby um, in Verulia, which created a lot of issues. I bet. So, do you see what I'm saying? Like, but I for, can see why it was doing all right. Yeah. Because, you know, you take those taxes away. and The town was also a melting pot of religion, being home to uh, Jews, Christians, and Muslims, all of whom were prosperous in the village. So, there was no hierarchy of... What year was this? Fuck. Uh, I don't remember. Okay. I'll get to it. <laughs> so, the monastery, though, would continue to try and create trouble for the little village. So, this goes through, like, a huge time frame. Like, I'm going to go through, like, uh, a, like a couple centuries. Uh, due to the fact that they were not collecting money and or taxes from the town. The first major argument was over wood. Uh, obviously, wood was a major resource because it was they used it for everything. For structures, for their heat, etc., etc. Obviously, you get the idea. I can't turn a page. Fucking hell. Okay. The lack of tax payment and uh, the use of the resources, uh, because the monastery wanted to get the wood essentially for free, but that is not how this area functioned. And all of the resources was in this little town, so it pissed off the monastery. Uh, the abbot's demand the uh, the abbot's monastery then demanded that the Catholic Church excommunicate the entire village which would prevent those who do practice from being allowed to participate in confession or take holy sacraments. And this went through. So the entire village was excommunicated. All right. So now we're going to fast forward to some 250 years later. The monastery, shocker, shocker, are still being assholes. This time, they focused on the water supply. The Moncayo Mountains had a thread of waterways which led into the village. Water is a resource that was supposed to be paid for, like the wood. But instead, the monastery diverted the water from where it would naturally flow so that they could take it without paying for it, and it kept the town also from getting fresh water. So these, I'm just going to throw it out there. These don't seem, seem like holy men to me. Like if you're just, you just want to take, 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 and you don't want to give anything, I think maybe you were not the right person for this well, job. Well, you already excommunicated them. So, like, who the hell? Like, why all because would they you had to pay for wood. Yeah, but why would they even care at this point? You've already excommunicated them because they, they just they want something for free. They don't want to have to pay for it. You're supposed to pay the church. No, I mean, why would the village care? Because they've already been excommunicated. So, like, well, they they don't. I mean, they still are functioning as you know. You need to pay us for the resources true. that we have. Like, that's you can't true. just have it for free. Yeah. And then they. They made it so that the village right. went into like a small, I'm going to say a small drought because they didn't have any water coming down yeah. from the mountains. No, you're right. Uh, so the Lord of Trasmos named Manuel Zimen, Z- okay, Zimenez de Ura decided he'd had enough and decided to take up arms against the monastery. However, thankfully, before there would be bloodshed, King Fernandad I, or the uh, Cortes of Aragon, stepped in and he sided with the town. And if you thought the monastery was mad before, well, they were really fucking mad now. So much so that they decided to curse the town. I am sorry. This is confusing because isn't curse a form of folk magic and what we consider to be witchcraft? And uh, I, last I checked, the Catholic Church uh, or any Christian church is like 1,000% against <laughs> all of those things. Uh, but this was, you know... Do as I say, not as I do. So this is a different time. Yeah, yeah. So with the permission from Pope Julius II, 
also an asshole. Oh, yeah. The abbot recited over the town Psalm 108. And I actually, it's, it's from the book of Psalms. I don't know that much about these damn books. But what it says is, who will lead me to fortify, to fortify city? And did you not go out, O God, with our armies? Give us help against the adversary, for vain is the help of man. And this is what he did. And I guess, I mean, this could have been an embellishment, but he wore like a dark cloak, went out in the middle of the night, like was spraying water, and then was saying this all over the town. Hmm. Because apparently in the church's arsenal of shit they can do to you, this is one of the most so powerful sound- curses that they can put on you. <laughs> so this sounds a lot like, so that you said it was Ferdinand. So it was Ferdinand mm-hmm. and Isabella who were super powerful monarchy they were Mm -hmm. a very powerful monarchy Mm -hmm. at the time and julius ii was like the warrior pope and he was an asshole Mm -hmm. so it sounds like they're basically just using this town as their little power play between the two of them yes so okay yeah so the towns really doesn't matter it's not about the town no so the rumor is that this abbot i just said that oh and he used to bell one reasoning behind this curse was the rumor that the town had been blinded by witchcraft okay (laughs) so using witchcraft to punish witchcraft clearly seems like the logical reasoning here like i said do as i say not as i do now also it's the way of the catholic church that if a curse is sanctioned by the pope then not only then only a pope has the power to lift it. And until this day, not one pope has taken the time to do so. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I mean, do they even know that this is still a thing? I, d- I don't know. So sadly, the years, uh, the years following this curse of Psalms were not great for the town. In 1520, there you go, there's a date, uh, the castle on the hill burnt to the ground where it remained in ruins for centuries. In the 15th century, the Jews were expelled from Spain, followed by the Muslims, and the village fell into decline. It went from around 10,000 inhabitants to only 62. One great thing that the townspeople did was they decided to use the rumors of witchcraft to their advantage, then and even now. Decades after the town was excommunicated, the caretakers of the castle tapped into their mineral supply and started to fashion fake coins in order to become rich which meant that there would be loud hammering and noise coming from the castle, especially at night. So in order to explain this away, they told the townsfolk that the castle was actually haunted by witches. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Which didn't help that fire with the monastery, so, you know. It's the still t- great. It is. The, the town also was not spared the witch trials. A woman named, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to not pronounce this right, uh, Yoquina Bona Sanchez, a.k.a. Latia Casca, which I think means Aunt Casca, was the last woman to be tried as a witch. At the time, a plague had broken out in the village to which there was no explanation for, so obviously the rational thing to do was blame this woman. Witches! I know, right? Because she was to be said, she was said to be a strange and secretive woman. The townsfolk attacked her and in 1860 threw her down a well, and she died. A well which you can still see in the village today. And although the so-called curse did much to damage the village, the few people—okay, the few people who were still there are resilient and have in, and have turned the village into a tourist destination, especially in June. Feria de Bruyera, or the Witchcraft Fair, was born out of the rumors and damage done to it. During this festival, you can find a market selling lotions and potions, all made from hallucinogenic herbs and plants that grow locally. <laughs> Actors reenact historical scenes, such as the mentioned capture and killing of uh, uh, Tia Casca and others accused of witchcraft. And the main event, 
is the naming Everyone's of tripping. Yeah, that's fabulous, right? Like, <laughs> fuck yeah, um, this is great. Um, that's the, why they got along so well early on, because all their stuff was like weirdly hallucinogenic, <laughs> and they were just like la la la. So the the main event is naming of the witch of the year. And in order to qualify, you must have knowledge of herbal medicine and be involved in the history and promotion of all things connected with Trasmos, because it's the name of the town, if you didn't pick that up. According to Lola Ruiz Diaz, who is the current reigning witch of the year. The castle, although that is still in ruins, the tower is currently being used to house a small witchcraft museum, a collection of black magic paraphernalia, which is just honestly brooms and black crucifixes and cauldrons. <laughs> And then within the courtyard of the castle, you will find an iron sculpture of Latia Casca, which I thought was pretty fucking cool. Oh, and nice. That's my short ass story. So I love it though. If you happen to be near the area of Spain in June, go to that little village and take part in what they're doing because the village is still not like a huge village. There's not a lot of people that live there. Mm-hmm. There's no schools. There's like, there's, you know, there's really nothing there. Yeah. So. Um, but it does look like a cute little town and, you know, perched on top of this hill is like this, you know, ruined castle. I just thought it was great. Like they, they, despite all of the shit that the monastery tried to do to them, they still, they're going to be awesome. Right. Still turn up the middle fingers and like, Oh, go fuck yourselves. And they probably were anyway. So, you know, they're just already doing it. But, um, (laughs) yeah, I thought that was great. So I'll, there's not again it's one of those to me it's one of those uh it's like salem yeah it's nothing you've taken over the town but there's there's no history of like witches and or witchcraft there but you've you've turned it around so that you make somebody has to take advantage of it right so why not which is fine but yeah um yeah i just thought it was a great story no it's awesome i love it like good for them yeah anyway all from a fucking facebook post (laughs) Hey, I love, like, so, like, I follow a couple different sites that'll give you, like, snippet articles about something, Mm -hmm. and a lot of times those are things that I'm like, ooh, that's interesting. I'm going to keep going with that. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, you know, it's not all bad out there on the social media. Sometimes, you know. But again, do your research, because the, the the snippet that I got was made it sound like that this town has a deep history with witchcraft and witches, and, and now they celebrate it, and blah, blah. It's not... That is not the true story. They were a great town that uh, was in the middle of a, a religious and political issue. And yeah. Yeah. So excommunicated and cussed by the church. Oh, that's so funny. Shame on you, church, monastery, and popes. Shame on you <laughs> for doing the thing that you tell people. Like, you killed thousands of people. For less. And then you're out here fucking cursing villages. Did we burn that guy at the stake? Probably not, is what I'm saying. <laughs> but he cursed them with a Bible verse, so it doesn't count. I No, I think it counts just the same. <laughs> I'm saying, like, that's their argument. I mean, people just simply spit at their neighbor's door and said something, you know, bitchy under their breath. You're a witch. And then they died. Mm-hmm. So, fuck that hypocrisy. <laughs> I'm not okay with it. Anyway, that's it. Yeah, that's all. You got to go to brunch. I'm going to brunch. I got to go home and get ready for some shit. So, yeah. yeah. Thanks for listening. Your moms you love you. Bye.